Mindfulness Mode 305. Just sit down, feel the pain, open up that compassion for yourself about the pain. That's, that's an amazing opening right there. You're listening to Mindfulness Mode, and I'm your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Thanks for joining, everybody. If you're new to the show, welcome. And if you're a returning listener, so glad to have you here. It's wonderful. It's been a wonderful day today, beautiful and sunny here in London, Ontario, Canada. I hope it's been a great weekend wherever you are. Today, I just want to share with you what one of my listeners has sent in. I always enjoy hearing from you, my listeners. You can send me an email at bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. And this is what Cynthia said. I just received this a few days ago. Your interviews really bring out the best in each guest and provide an intimate peek into their personal and professional lives, all while sharing very practical tips on how listeners can apply some of these techniques or practices into our own lives. And then she went on to say, this is all done with a great rapport and respect for each other and every guest, drawing out their best qualities in an open and candor manner, while also inviting the listener to reach out to these extraordinary people. So it's really great to hear from you, Cynthia. Thank you so much for the the very kind words. She went on to say, Mindfulness Mode has become my new favorite podcast, and I look forward to hearing more, so please keep them coming. So I'm doing my best to do that. Today, Todd is a great guy, uh, a friend I've met not too long ago, and he's a healthcare expert and focused on exceptional self-care and if you're anything like me you know sometimes you probably don't take as good a care of yourself as you really should and he's going to be talking about this how to focus on exceptional self-care and so much more so sit back relax and enjoy my interview today with my friend Todd hey mindful tribe today Todd Nelson, and he's a, a true expert in the whole field of, of health, and we're going to be talking specifically about this, but Todd, are you in mindfulness mode today? I sure am, Bruce. <laughs> That's great. Todd Nelson is a naturopathic doctor in clinical practice for 35 years. He's the co-author of three books on health and has contributed to eight books on health as well. Todd is an expert in helping people recover from, well, so many different things and helps them with their well-being by practicing exceptional self-care. He's a well-known speaker, both publicly and to health professionals, and he does hundreds of media appearances. Todd is a former radio show host and corporate wellness trainer. So, Todd, what does mindfulness mean to you? Well, Bruce, I knew you were going to ask me that, and I've been contemplating that for a while as to how I was going to answer it. But certainly for me, it's sort of paying deep, mindful, acute attention to my state at any given time in the present moment. For me, that's tuning into where my breath is at, where my body's at, my thoughts, my feelings, and also what is going on in my circumstances in the present moment. And for me, that's getting a really heightened state of awareness about these things so I can sort of take inventory, take stock of where I am. 
And the second part of that for me is also to be able to be in a place of choice about my response and my behaviors accordingly. Um, in other words, so often we just respond to things knee jerk out of habit. Um, and you know, it's, uh, it's, it's very easy to just drop into that and have the habit have me, so to speak. So part of being mindful for me is to go, ah, wait a minute, is, is this good for me? Or is this a choice I really want to make? <laughs> sure. Just making that decision. Yes. Yes. And, uh, you know, maybe a good metaphor for that right now is holiday eating. <laughs> you know, it's holiday time. People are really going after sugar and so forth. And sometimes we behave as such like the pie has us or the, <laughs> you know, that pumpkin pie is staring at us and somehow it's got this amazing power over us and yeah. we're going to be eating too much of it and feeling bad because of it. And it's more like in, in mindfulness mode, you know, to quote you, Bruce, is to be in a place of saying, wait a minute, oh, okay, I might have a little bit of that. How much is enough? What's good for my body? How am I going to feel later? How do I balance that out with other healthier choices while I'm doing that? So, Todd, is it true that all these sugars that we take in contribute to the pain that we experience in our bodies? Yes, and that's that's a place I think for a lot of people where they get mindless about um, just eating wantonly, you know, eating a lot of sugar, flour, fried fat, uh, foods that are non-organic, maybe have a lot of additives, etc. And and then wondering why do I have joint pain? You know, why why is my elbows hurting or my thumbs hurting in the morning? Why is it that I'm feeling really stiff and sore and more fatigued and brain fogged? And all the while, you know, they might just innocently be making choices that are stacking up sort of a toxic load on the body. And what happens is the body starts screaming out and talking to us. So if we start paying attention and listening to those messages, you know, what do we do usually? Well, my thumb hurts. What am I going to do? I'm going to take an Advil or I'm going to take a painkiller. And yeah, the pain might go away, but it, it's done no, nothing to shift the behavior that may have right. led to that outcome to begin with. Right. Well, I've heard that even, even cancers thrive in environments where there's just so much sugar, or I know it affects your acidic alkaline balance in your body when you consume a lot of sugars. Does that make sense? Is that right? That's absolutely correct, because... Um, some cancer cells, some tumors consume 50 times more sugar for their energy needs than regular cells do. So you feed it, they get fed, and they can proliferate, and this can accelerate the cancerous process. So that's really good incentive to dial back the sugar intake. Um, and, you know, one of my things during the day all day long when I'm seeing patients is I'm usually acting more like a coach to ask people to pay attention to what they're eating and pay attention and get mindful to saying, okay, there's, there's a question, Bruce, I want to share uh, with your audience that I think is a powerful question that can, it's so simple and it can literally change your life if you start answering it on a really consistent basis. And that is, is this choice consistent with the outcome I want? 
So, you know, if you're really valuing your health and your well-being and you are reaching for that candy bar or that sugar on a regular basis and you start asking yourself that question more repetitively, eventually the brain picks that up and, and starts answering. And the brain has some common sense and it says, no, like if my outcome is I want less pain, I want less brain fog, I want more energy, I want more functionality in the day. Um, well, guess what? Uh, you know, reaching for that Mars bar is not consistent with the outcome I want. And sometimes we have to pause, we have to hit the pause button, breathe a little bit, ask ourselves that question like a reset and train our brain to go into this new habit of saying, oh, no, I, you know, I'm not going to take that because I don't want to feel bad. You know, I respect myself, love myself enough and want to care for myself enough to start reversing this trend. That's no small thing to do. It takes a lot of commitment, a lot of repetition. No, but it makes a lot of sense. And if we can be deliberate about that and do what you said and make that decision each time we pick up a piece of food or a dessert or whatever it is, then it can change our life. Life. I know that about three years ago when I gave up processed sugar, at first it was very difficult. And it was yeah. like my body screaming, you know, where is it? What's going on? You know, and then an interesting thing happened. And that is if I happened to consume something that did have sugar in it that I wasn't expecting, like a salad dressing or something, my body would scream, what's that horrible <laughs> taste, that flavor? Yuck. I don't want that. And I think you you just get used to it and you start feeling so much better as a result of it that it's it's well worth it. Exactly. And, yeah, I want to ask you about dark chocolate. I know that uh -oh. some people say that that's a good thing to consume, and sometimes you can get dark chocolate with very little sugar in it. What do you think about dark, uh, dark chocolate, Todd? You know, Bruce, I think it's fine, so long as it's organic, it's low sugar, possibly dairy-free. There's so many people with dairy sensitivities, and, right. and there's some benefit to dark chocolate as far as um, the antioxidant capability, there's some anti-inflammatories, but it's like anything, you know, you need to consume it within the, within the context of some balance. So if there's like a square or two, maybe a day, well, there's no downside. Nobody's going to die from that. Nobody's going to have a severe illness from that. And the pleasure that you get from that, I mean, it definitely sort of gives you a temporary boost of dopamine, right. you know, the pleasure chemical. Um, so why not? The problem is I, I, I was um, sitting with some elderly ladies at my mother's uh, assisted living place the other day, and one of the ladies was talking about how she used to consume three pounds of Hershey's chocolate a day. Now, if you can imagine. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's, it's, so, you know, that's, we, we would call that sort of mindlessly eating chocolate. Yes. And, um, of course, she's had a lot of chronic illnesses and uh, a lot of digestive problems and can no longer do that. So a lot of it is just common sense. Well, you know, I want to talk about pain, and there are so many of our listeners that suffer pain. You've recently finished uh, writing and contributing to a book on cannabis for pain. Can you comment on that? Is that a choice that is very, very smart to move toward? 
Yeah, thanks for asking, Bruce. Um, it's, you know, it's an emerging medicine. You know, it's a medicine that's been around for about 3,000 years, but as far as really understanding it and appropriately applying it in pain syndromes, um, my colleague, Dr. Ifker, who wrote the book primarily, has worked with over 7,000 chronic pain patients, and I work very closely with him. I do primarily the nutritional part of our programs. And what we find is, you know, there's this opioid crisis, right? And about 150 people are dying from overdose every single day. Um, I think it's something like, I, I can't remember the exact statistics, but I think it's like about 100,000 people showing up in the ERs on a daily basis. So there's a massive crisis in the U.S. with this. Now, medical marijuana, when it's appropriately used, and that's the key, that's the key thing, uh, we've seen people be able to wean opioids with supervision and sometimes just rely on the medical marijuana, as well as things like benzodiazepines, which are anti-anxiety drugs, and sleep drugs. Those are the big three that medical marijuana tends to um, really address. We try to do it within the context of a holistic program, not just okay, you know, go back to smoking and drinking and eating a bunch of junk, and uh, but you're off your opioid. Um, right. You know, it's kind of like, can you start cleaning up your diet, doing appropriate supplements, maybe some detoxification, um, getting the sugar out, et cetera, and then use the medical marijuana judiciously. And so Dr. Ifker gives them very specific recommendations rather than just wantonly smoking pot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, one, if you do that excessively, it can increase anxiety uh, if you get too much THC. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, we have these other fractions of marijuana called CBDs and THCA, which is the acidic form of THC that's not psychoactive. So it's not going to make you high. It's not going to brain fog you. It's not going to make you tired. Um, so the main thing is if you're listening to this and you're considering this as an option for yourself, you need to be careful. You need to get expert uh, guidance. And then you need to safely kind of experiment and find out what personally works for you. And it is just a symptom reliever. It doesn't cure pain. You know, it may take down some inflammation, but most of the time it's not overcoming the causes of the problem. It's really just mitigating pain. And it's it's a wonderful gift from nature if we're appropriately using it. And I think that's the key question. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, there's so many different types of pain out there that people are suffering. I know my grandmother used to suffer from arthritis mm -hmm. and she had it in her hands. She had it in different parts of her body and that was severe. Nowadays, what would some of the best strategies be if you have arthritis? Great question. Um, you know, we wrote a book called Arthritis Survival way back in 2001. And uh, we actually have sort of an update, a condensed update of that program in the Cannabis for Chronic Pain book. But um, it's not simple, Bruce. Um, one is you mentioned acidity earlier. Right. Getting onto a more alkaline diet, which is a very high vegetable, high fruit diet, lower animal protein diet, hopefully organic. Um, that's big in arthritis. And one thing people don't think about in arthritis is when you first start getting it, when you first start getting 
soreness, like at the base of your thumb or your knees, or your shoulders or what have you, that's the time to start a program. Most people wait quite a while before they take much action. And there's a point of no return. Because okay. like in your grandmother's case, she might have osteoarthritis where she's losing cartilage between her joints. And, you know, there's a point where you have to have a joint replacement if it goes too far. So there's three main components to uh, trying to either reverse osteoarthritis in the early stages or slow down the progression. One is to feed cartilage. And that is to use nutrients like glucosamine, chondroitin, MSM, and CMO. Uh, there's another one called HA. So I won't give your listeners a full biochemistry lesson. <laughs> but these are components of cartilage that we need to feed the cartilage. Second thing is bring down inflammation. Well, how do we do that? First and foremost is diet. And there, there's many books out there about the anti-inflammatory diet. Um, just Google that. You'll get a lot of great information. We talk about it in Cannabis for Chronic Pain. Um, and then there's very specific dietary supplements and herbal supplements that have become very sophisticated and highly researched now that can dial down inflammation. You know, for example, there's one I use called Osteovantive uh, from a doctor's line called Metagenics. Strangely enough, it's derived from hops. Oh. Uh, so a lot of my patients say, can I just drink enough beer? And, <laughs> <laughs> and my reply to that is, well, you may not care that you have arthritis if you drink enough beer, <laughs> True, uh, but, but it's not going to help your, excuse me, it's not going to help your arthritis. Um, this is a very special extract that has five years of research to help dial down the associated inflammatory chemicals. That's just one option. We have about eight or so now herbal anti-inflammatory options that we can choose from. And then the third thing is keeping joints strong. So if you're overweight, for example, you're going to be much more likely to have osteoarthritis just because of wear and tear on your joints. Um, so getting to appropriate weight, getting some good guidance to do that, um, doing appropriate exercise where you're not beating the holy crap out of your joints you know, pounding the pavement and overlifting weights, getting good guidance on it. It's like anything, Bruce, you know, mindfully exercising so you don't hurt yourself and you're learning how to apply it personally to your own body, your own physiology in a way that you can do it. I see so many people like get out there, I'm going to exercise, they do it hard, they get injured, they back up, they have to rehabilitate then it kills their motivation to exercise. Vicious cycle. So the, those are the three main components. And what are your thoughts on running? I know it's not good if it's going to cause knee problems or ankle problems, but what about running? Is it a good choice? Personally, I don't think so. Um, I've seen so many runners over the years that um, later in life are really dealing with lots of knee and ankle problems, sometimes foot problems, hip problems. Um, you know, if you're going to be a runner, some people genetically do really well running. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a friend who's a 45 year old, you know, ultra marathoner who uh, she seems like she's bulletproof. She just never gets injured. She might be a genetic anomaly, you know, right. But for most of us, that is not the case. <laughs> 
So I would say running is not my first choice by any means. What would your first choice be for a good exercise? I think aerobically, it's more like a trauma-free exercise would be like on an elliptical machine, a rowing machine, um, uh, one of these recumbent bikes where you're sitting with a back and your legs out front. Hiking is great. Bicycling is great. Swimming is great. Very non-traumatic on the joints. So those are many options that we have for aerobic exercise. Cross-country right. skiing here in Colorado and up in, up in uh, Canada. Yes, uh, I love skiing. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really like that. I love hiking, getting out there in nature and walking the trails and just not only getting the exercise, but enjoying the fresh air and seeing the, the trees and the plants. That, that sort of revitalizes me. Good soul food, yeah. Well, between the fresh air and the beauty and the ability to kind of drop your life in the city and hmm. um, really recharge in nature. I mean, nature in and of itself is healing just to be in it. So great point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I want to talk with you also about this topic, about the topic of bullying. I've worked in that field for some time. Do you have a story, Todd, about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? Yeah, you know, Bruce, when I was a kid, I was a pretty sort of sen highly sensitive, sort of wimpy kid, not an mm -hmm. athletic kid and definitely the one to get picked on and mm -hmm. um, was very sensitive to suffering of other kids and the underdog and suffering of animals and all sorts of things. And I remember um, in grade school, uh, I used to walk home from school and there was all these wonderfully positioned bushes where these two guys would hide out <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, wait for me. And uh, they would jump out and want to uh, hassle me, push me around, hassle me, try and take my lunch money, that kind of stuff. Well, one day um, my father uh, decided to hide in those bushes and wait for those two <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> and give them a dose of their own medicine. So he jumped out, scared the holy crap out of them. And uh, gave him a good talking to. And strangely enough, we all ended up being friends. Um, those, those guys were so shaken up and scared. Uh, we, my dad sort of facilitated this. He was a great guy. And, but when you ask me, how would mindfulness help me? Later in my life, uh, about the age of 17, uh, I started uh, learning Kung Fu. And I, I, part of it was for self-defense. But I would say out of the seven years of training I went through in Kung Fu, um, the core lesson that I got was being mindful, staying awake, staying present in the midst of somebody hitting me. <laughs> and I can't tell you how valuable that is. It wasn't like I would have just signed up for that knowing what I was getting into necessarily. But because I had been unconfident and uh, very afraid and very, um, very scared and unable to defend myself, uh, I'll never forget, um, I got to a place where we would do these round robins of sparring with one another. And I was just getting overwhelmed emotionally by doing this with all these people and getting hit and hitting them and it was all a very controlled thing, but at one point I fell down in a fetal position and I could barely handle it. So my instructor 
brought me up, facilitated me getting through the feelings of that. And I went back in and something shifted in me and I was able to stay present throughout the rest of the exercise. And honestly, that stayed with me for life where I was able to go, wow, I'm just observing all this. Um, I'm having to spar with these people and stand my ground and defend myself and show up and stay awake and not get overwhelmed by my feelings. And when I'm in conflict or hard circumstances these days, I reference that. I go back to that feeling state in my physiology of sort of the we, what we called it was the eye of the hurricane. Um, staying present in that calm core place of observation and being able to then come up with solutions to what's happening. So I've practiced that for 40 years now or more. <laughs> right. If we can stay calm at those critical moments, we've got it made. Yeah. And if I was a little kid and I knew that skill, um, also later in my life, I've never had to use my martial arts training ever, but I've certainly a few times had to talk myself out of a fight where, um, you know, I was just in sort of an innocent bystander, but I had to be present and being present. I think the other person really feels that. And I was able to see them just soften and back off. It was quite profound. So I never had to use my skills. The skill was being present. <laughs> well, and that is a terrific skill to have. That's for sure, Todd. Yeah, I, w I didn't ask you about meditation, whether mm. that's a part mm. of your life. I know that some people use meditation skills to deal with pain, to help lower the intensity of their pain. Do you meditate? I meditate almost every morning. Uh, sometimes in the evening, I have for about 40 years. I got introduced to TM when I was 17. I started doing that. And then s since then, I'm, I've had a number of different meditation teachers, probably mostly leaning towards some different Buddhist techniques. Uh, these days, it's more creative. Mm -hmm. uh, I just sit and be present and... Sometimes it's just observing my mind. Sometimes it's meditating on a specific theme. Um, at times I can get to a completely blank state of no thought, uh, which is hard to come out of because <laughs> it's so enjoyable. Yes. Uh, and I personally have a chronic rare connective tissue disease called Ehlers-Danlos -Danlo syndrome. Almost nobody's heard of it. Um, it affects my tendons and ligaments. And I go through some severe neck pain sometimes. So sometimes in the morning, and it's usually in the morning that it affects me the most, I'll sit and meditate and challenge myself to just um, sort of step-by-step -step relax, breathe, bring healing energy into my neck. And at times I can get to a point of completely dissipating the pain. And that's been a great blessing and you know, the way I think of it is I'm accessing my own internal free pharmacy. <laughs> wow. That's a cool way of thinking about it. Your internal free pharmacy. Yeah, why not? And we all have it if we can just unlock it. Yes, and we can. And mindfulness has been used a lot in, in um, patients with chronic pain. We use it in our clinic. Um, I give people CDs for 
visualizing and breathing and trying to relax, doing some systemic relaxation. Um, and it's, it's kind of amazing, Bruce, sometimes to see, like, you know, when we have pain, we naturally want to get away from it, judge it, uh, get upset about it, uh, do anything to get out of it, right? right. Um, but to literally do the opposite, which is to be present with it, sounds counterintuitive initially. Yes, it does. Yeah, it's a big sort of uh, wall to get over in our consciousness about, okay, really, I can just sit here and breathe and focus on it and maybe visualize warm energy or a color or pretty much anything you want to that's going to be helpful. And a lot of people can really control their pain down. I see this with people with high blood pressure. I'll say, use your blood pressure cuff as a biofeedback unit and just sit there, take, take the numbers. Most people take the numbers, they see it's high and they freak out. Mm -hmm. So I ask them to challenge themselves to take the numbers, sit for 10 minutes, breathe, and, and visualize those numbers going down. And a lot of people can consciously lower the numbers by 10 to 20 points. Very and that's consistent. a lot. That's a lot. It's very significant. And that may be the difference between, you know, normal blood pressure and a stroke. <laughs> so um, we, we talk about these things very openly with patients on a daily basis. Wow. So that is fascinating that you can actually move your blood pressure down in that way. I think that's... Absolutely. I've seen hundreds of patients do that just by getting aware of where they're mm -hmm. at, mm -hmm. consciously relaxing their body maybe slowing down and deepening their breath, combining that with some visualization of the numbers actually going down and how good that feels to feel that. And that sequence can be applied to chronic pain as well. You know, in other words, just sit down, feel the pain, open up that compassion for yourself about the pain. That's, that's an amazing opening right there. Do some systemic muscle relaxation, combine it with slower breathing, and then visualize it relaxing and dissipating. Now, some people see it like a maybe a cool blue color around their pain or mm -hmm. green or something like that. Uh, I've had patients who are really creative come up with, you know, all sorts of things, you know, like beautiful angels painting on cooling gels. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it can get really out there. But for me, it's like whatever works because. Absolutely. You can imagine whatever you want, and that's going to create or elicit a physiological response. And there's lots, you know this, that there's lots of response. I mean, there's lots of research in meditation about as we meditate, we literally change our physiology. And, you know, the benefits are phenomenal. <laughs> right. The benefits are unreal, unreal. Todd, as we move toward the end of the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. The first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? Um, many, but the one person is Robert K. Cooper. Uh, Robert is now the head of Cooper Strategies. You can find him online. He's written many books. Um and Robert uh, was the first to teach me what he called an instant calming sequence, um, which is an exercise in mindfulness. So 
highly recommend you look him up. Okay, good suggestion. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Todd? Oh, it makes me a calmer, more sane human being, Bruce. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, we all can get into this, um, you know, I call it the blender drink of our thoughts. (laughs) You know, like when you you do a smoothie in a blender drink, right? And it's all mashed up. And we can get whirling with so many different things. And it, and it, uh, for me, it can connect me into this feeling of urgency and nervousness and being a little neurotic. And so mindfulness has really helped me dissipate that, soften it, find more peace, and be able to more consciously choose it at will during the day. Mm. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. I don't know of anything that changes your state faster than changing your breathing, Um, truly. I mean, if you just take a moment and go, okay, where's my breath? Holding my breath, my diaphragm's up in my rib cage here. (sighs) How do I just take a breath, take a sigh, mindfully breathe through my nose, out through my mouth, even just a few breaths, and just let my diaphragm drop, my whole abdomen drop. Within, you know, anywhere from 30 seconds to a minute, I can access calmness. And it's like, wow, what a neat technique. I can do that anywhere, anytime, any circumstance. Hmm. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be, Todd? Oh, gosh. Um, You know, any of Pema Chodron's books. Yes. Uh... I mean, are just full of mindfulness. So that's one of my go-to authors, for sure. I'd recommend her. She's a Buddhist nun. Right. Can you share an app which helps with mindfulness? <laughs> I have not gotten into apps. I've, I've heard some of your guests talking about them. I thought, I need to try that out sometime. But honestly, I haven't done it. And then other guests mention not having an app. Is the most yeah. mindful well, thing. You or know, getting rid me, of your my phone. app is, you know, me. <laughs> right, right there between your ears. Yes, that's right. I'm, I'm the app. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I agree. But, but for it a is lot something... of people, especially if people, excuse me, Bruce, if uh, uh, a lot of people, they have such busy minds, and they say, you know, Todd, I can't just sit and quiet my mind. You yeah. know, it's like crazy. It drives me crazy to try and do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'll say, well. You know, you can go to like Sounds True or another company. There's many companies online that um, have meditation CDs or MP3 downloads or what have you and get guidance with somebody that you love the music, you love their voice. It doesn't necessarily matter what the technique is. What matters is you feel really good doing it and just do it. Then just do it repetitively. So you're, you're, subconscious and your nervous system starts anchoring it in as a habit and an access point. That's the thing I love so much is then you can call it up when you want it. Yeah, that's a good point. Make it a habit and then make use of it whenever you need it. Yes. Absolutely. I'm fascinated with this new book that you're contributing to. When does it release? And can you remind us again of the title of that book? Yeah, it already released September 12th. It's on Amazon. It's in all the major bookstores. It's called Cannabis for Chronic Pain. It's Dr. Rav, R-A-V, Ivker, I-V-K-E-R. I'm the major contributor to the book, 
particularly particularly the uh, nutritional protocols. I will make that available on our website, on our show notes. So check that out and all the links. How is the best way we can connect with you, Todd? Thanks, Bruce. Best way to connect with me is through our website, which is www.tolwellness.com. Great. I'll put that on the show notes as well. Thanks so much for joining us today, Todd. It's been a great chat. Yeah, thank you, Bruce. Uh, really a pleasure to, to speak with you. And thank you for all the good work and messages you're putting out there. Appreciate it. All the best to you. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you. Mindful Tribe, I hope you enjoyed today's interview. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave a comment on the bottom of the episode on my website. That's mindfulnessmode.com. You can visit that to see show notes, information, links. And if you leave a comment, I'll mention you on an upcoming episode. Remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.